What's going on, guys? Welcome back to the Nature Has Flavor podcast. My name is Danny Horgan. The year is almost over. We, we have a few days left until January 1st, 2017. And looking back, 2016 has been an incredible year. We, we've seen the plant-based movement grow so much from all sorts of angles. We've seen the movement grow thanks to animal rights advocates, thanks to health advocates, thanks to environmental advocates. Everyone's played a role in, in making this whole movement happen. And being a part of it through this podcast, getting to talk to some of the brightest minds in the plant-based community, it's been so much fun. We've had so many great guests on the show this year. A lot of people don't take the new year seriously anymore. It's kind of become hokey to, to set a goal just for January 1st. We all have that one Facebook friend who says, hey, what are you doing waiting January 1st to set goals? I, I set goals all the time. You know, and sure, January 1st is just the date at the end of the day, but it's a date that I feel has some weight and has some meaning. It's a it's a meaningful period of the year where you can make some changes to become healthier. And I, I don't think that you should just dismiss January 1st as a skeptic. You know, set a goal, set a goal. Why not? It's something that a lot of people have benefited from over the years. Set some goals and start working towards them. Today's podcast is a collection of, of quotes and pieces of advice from some of the guests we've had on the show this year. I feel like some of these clips, are, they've stuck with me for one reason or another. They've been great pieces of advice. Some of the quotes have been powerful. It's kind of a potpourri, but I'm going to let them flow. I'm going to let them flow one after another so you guys can just listen and enjoy. If you want to go back and listen to the full episodes, they're all archived at naturehasflavor.com, so feel free to check those out there. So, like I said, I don't want to interrupt the flow of the show, but I just want to read off the order of the guests real quick so each quote gets attributed properly. The first quote is from registered dietitian Sharon Palmer. The second quote is from Nina Geheman from Harvard Vegan Society. The third quote is from Dr. John McDougall. The fourth is from journalist Mike the Vegan. The fifth is from a vegan marathoner Nick Filipazzo. And the final quote is from Victoria Moran, who has been a leader in the vegan movement for several decades. I hope you guys enjoy. So that actually brings me to my next question. What does a typical day of eating look like for you? I think a lot of people would be interested in knowing what a registered dietitian actually eats. Well, um, what I used, I start out every morning with usually a bowl of a whole grain porridge, something like steel cut oats. And uh, sometimes I switch up the grains. A lot of people don't realize that in other cultures, they eat all different kinds of whole grain porridges for breakfast. It doesn't have to just be oatmeal. It could be millet or quinoa or brown rice mm -hmm. or farro. So I start out with, you know, just cooked grains and then I add a seasonal fruit as my sweetener and I add flax, walnuts, um, uh, or chia, one of those for my omega-3s plus some protein. And then I use soy milk on top of it. So that's kind of my routine breakfast. On the weekends, I might switch it up and do something more fun like a tofu scramble or, mm -hmm. you know, like some homemade waffles or something um and then for lunch i usually have a large uh salad i believe that plant-based eaters should have green vegetables every single day to get calcium and other nutrients that we need 
and I have a garden, so I usually go out because I work at home. And mm-hmm. I usually go out and get my greens every day. Uh, I know I'm super lucky. <laughs> <laughs> but I will make this enormous salad uh, with all different kinds of greens and then um, usually like some sort of a bean or lentil on there for protein and whatever vegetables I have on hand with kind of like an olive oil dressing. Um, so that's kind of my lunch. And then I might have like a piece of fruit for a snack. And then for dinner is when we get creative and we'll have something like maybe one night we'll have tacos with black beans, uh, build your own tacos, maybe a pasta dish, um, a casserole like a shepherd's pie. Um, I love to get more creative on the weeknights or maybe a curry dish or some simmered lentils. Um, just there is, are so many delicious foods that we can eat. It's it's always fun every night to think about something new, but it usually involves you know like a protein source such as tofu or or pulses, um, and then a whole grain, um, and then at least a couple servings of vegetables. That's kind of the the general idea. When I started actually doing research around the health reasons, I found out all the other reasons to be vegan, which are, I mean, and I realized that all the reasons that I had been vegetarian originally, which were sort of ethical uh, motivations, you know, I really just should have been vegan from the start. And I remember that I had met vegans before in my life, but um, for whatever reason, I just wasn't open to that message at the time. And uh, so I always try to strive to be the vegan that I wish I had met at the time, you know, before in my life. And so I think that for me, it was much more gradual. It took a, like a, a, it took some weeks to become uh, plant-based, I guess, or vegan plant-based. But I actually really did notice a huge difference in terms of like, you were asking earlier about like energy and health. I think, I mean, it's, it's funny because I mean, I was 24, 25. So you'd think you wouldn't notice a big difference, but you really do. And the difference between being meat eater and vegetarian was like, minuscule and the difference between being totally plant-based versus vegetarian was was huge like I could just tell it was like you know I just stopped getting sick I um I just had more energy to exercise things like things like that and obviously the you know the ethical and environmental implications were the things that were truly driving me but the sort of like more superficial benefits of the sort of the health um were really important as well so um that's why I, I just, I really recommend, I, I really think the difference between doing it a little bit and doing it uh, full, kind of all the way, is pretty significant. Uh, the human diet is the diet of starch. Always has been, always will be. Uh, if you look throughout human history, what you find is that people have been starch eaters. For example, if you look to Central America in history for 1300 years, the Mayans and the Aztecs were known as the people of the corn. corn. <laughs> they lived on corn. And, and the Incas, a little further down in the Andes, they are potato eaters. And if you go to the Middle East, where we're paying all of our attention now, at Egypt and Syria and Iraq and Iran, that's the breadbasket of the world. Those people still eat a diet that's about 70% carbohydrate, in other words, starch. If you go to the Far East up until 35 years ago, 90% of the diet was rice. So people live on starch. That's the diet of human beings. If you want to look best, function best, fight best, win sports best, 
I mean, that's the diet of human beings. So what would be your your advice uh, for someone who's on the road, on the go, and you know, kind of finds themselves stuck in a situation where you know, there aren't a whole lot of healthy choices available? What would be, I guess, the, the, the path of least resistance at that point? No? Well, one thing, which is like a hilarious life hack that probably isn't possible most of the time, but kale and those other dark leafy greens actually blunt the effect of eating oil, like, in terms of, again, like, lipemia or hyperlipidemia, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Um, depending on the study and depending on what you eat, I, I believe the effect is, like, up to two, it can reduce it by up to, like, two-thirds okay. by adding, by eating kale. So, like, if you have the opportunity to also, if you have access, somehow have access to a dark leafy green, or, or there's, like, maybe there's, once one on the menu somehow in like a fast food restaurant, not a fast food restaurant, but like I don't know if you if you're at like a Chili's or something and they have like collard greens, then you know getting those is key. Or if you're like, so this would be hilarious, but if you just like somehow manage to carry around a bunch of kale with you, or you're traveling <laughs> and just like eat it afterwards. But just just thinking about that, like if you are able to get a source of greens, it's not going to happen in a gas station. But I don't like I don't even know. <laughs> I've thankfully never been. Where I have to eat in a gas station legitimately. So, <clears throat> obviously, you're at the, the very high end of the sport, but for anyone who's looking to just get fit, get healthier, what advice would you have for someone who wants to take up running? Okay, well, to take up running, um, it depends. Well, if you're, if you're someone who's overweight, um, I would suggest, you know, cycling, right? Just getting the body moving if you're just mm-hmm. not, uh, you know, in an active lifestyle. So build an active lifestyle, but also a lot of walking, definitely. Um, maybe even more important than cycling, just a lot of walking, because if you want to be a runner, you're going to be on your feet more. But um, that's one thing. But obviously, you know, the second thing is change your diet. Um, eat the high-carbohydrate, low-fat lifestyle. I wouldn't call it a diet, but a lifestyle. So you would naturally just lose weight without actually having to work or train very hard. And... Um, so then you could get into that, and then you you know you'll start running, and you just you start from square one. You you run a mile one day, you run a mile of the X, you take off, and you run two miles, and you run back to a mile, and you kind of just build up from there and uh, start slowly and work your way up. So and sooner or later you're running 190 miles a week. Sooner or later you're running 190 miles a week. There was a time when even being vegetarian was just weird, weird, weird. I remember in my hometown of Kansas City, Missouri, when they put in the first salad bar, and I thought they did it just for me, <laughs> because <laughs> there were so few, even vegetarians, that I remember going on the radio when I was old and being this expert on being vegetarian when I'd only been at it for you know six, eight months, <laughs> but it was just weird. And then vegan, oh my goodness, it had been around, obviously, since 1944 when the Vegan Society started in the UK, but the growth was so, so slow. And then the American Vegan Society was founded in 1960. And every time I think about that, I'm just in awe that these people were so far forward thinking that they thought that the United States needed a vegan society. But that was it. That was all there was for such a long time. So those were the people who made me vegan and who provided all the information to me and to other people who in those days were getting this. But very few people 
were involved. Almost nobody had heard of it. Almost nobody could even pronounce the word. And when I went to college, I went to college late, so we're talking the early 80s, I went to the UK on a fellowship to study vegans because there were so few here. You couldn't study them here. Wow. You, know, you could travel wow. all over and maybe you'd meet, I don't know, 30 maybe. But because it had started in England, there were more of them there and it was closer together. So I got to meet some of those early vegans who had been around in the 1940s. And even then, it was it was such a rarity. And now it is a viable movement. It is a powerful movement. I want you to go into your cabinets and pull out your balsamic vinegar. And I want you to do this very simple test to verify if it's real balsamic vinegar. Take a spoon, pour a little bit of balsamic vinegar on each side, and see if the balsamic vinegar sticks. If it sticks, then congratulations, you have real balsamic vinegar. If it doesn't stick, then chances are you're working with a really watered down commercialized product that isn't anything near what real balsamic vinegar should be. If you get Nature Has Flavors balsamic vinegar at naturehasflavor.com, I can pretty much guarantee that you're going to be happy with how well it coats the spoon. Our balsamic vinegar is that thick. It's barrel aged for over two years in Modena before it's shipped overseas here in the United States. It makes my salads taste 10 times better. I'll never look at salads the same way knowing what real balsamic vinegar tastes like. Head on over to naturehasflavor.com, enter the promo code REALBALSAMIC for 20% off your first bottle of real balsamic vinegar from Nature Has Flavor. Trust me, your friends and family will thank you.